0: Welcome to today's edition of the Bible class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of James. You may send your questions by email through our website at WHCBRadio.org. That's WHCBRadio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible class, Care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. Here's Dr. Hill with today's lesson.
1: Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing with our study in the general epistle of James. And we have been to the greeting, and that's as far as we've gotten. We're in chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. As I noted last time, it's important for us to know who James was. He was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was called James the Just, and he was one of the influential leaders, the head of the church at Jerusalem. This was written somewhere in the neighborhood of A.D. 45 to uh, 50 Probably more like AD 43 to 47, somewhere in there, Uh, but it was an early date. And probably, from all we can tell, this is the first epistle that was written for the New Testament. The last seven epistles of the New Testament are known as the general or universal epistles or circular epistles because they were not written to any single congregation, city, or nation but to believers everywhere. And this specifically was written to the twelve tribes, that's the tribes of Jewish folks, who have come to faith in Christ. The twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, the Jewish Christians in the dispersion. Now, Jewish Christians were treated cruelly, and they had fled for their lives. They had seen tremendous difficulty. And these are the ones that James is writing to. So James is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And a important man. The, probably one of the most important men in the church at Jerusalem. And yet he presents himself as a servant of a bond-slave, a bond-servant to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. And it was sent to these who are dispersed, which are scattered abroad. And then he gives greeting. Now notice this thing called greeting. Why is there a greeting? The greeting is a salutation. It's like saying hello to you. It's like saying, hi, how are you? Or in uh, my part of the world, howdy, how you doing? That's all part of the greeting. And the greeting is important. And this is a point to to make, and then I'll go on from there. Uh, The point is that when you write to someone, when you give greetings, you are giving a smile you're giving a welcome, you're giving a please read what I have to say because I appreciate you and I think you're important. And that's what a greeting is all about. It's a kindness to have this greeting. Now this greeting was given to any one of these Christian folks who had been scattered from Jerusalem. And in verse 2, as we get to another portion of this writing, we go from the greeting to the purpose, and we see in verse 2, he calls out, My brethren. My brethren. So he is identifying himself with the Jewish Christians, and he's doing so without any remorse, regret, or hesitation. He is counting it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, he says. My brethren, count it all joy when when you fall into various or different or different kinds of temptations or testings, and we could call it testings without doing any harm to the text. As was mentioned by Paul Kretzman in his Popular Commentary of the Bible, Volume 2, New Testament. This Lutheran scholar said, The epistle is less doctrinal than any other in the New Testament. The purpose of the writer is not so much to instruct as to exhort and admonish. This is the epistle of holy living, Uh, This places great stress upon works not apart from faith but as both the proof and fruit of faith. The style of the epistle is succentious and forcible, passing swiftly and sometimes without any apparent logical formation from one topic to another, boldly denouncing sin in strong terms and polished poetical language, James reminds us of one of the old Hebrew prophets. And indeed, and his admonition is such without question. So much to learn from this book, and it is a short letter, but so much to learn from it, and it was sent to all who were scattered Abroad, And these were Jewish Christians. You have to understand that this was written to Jewish Christians, and it mentions all sorts of things that will help us understand more about the Jewish Christians and their lives. He writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into these uh, different and diverse and various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What is a fruit of the Spirit? Patience, of course, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so we're to know that if we are to have patience, that we must have trials. Knowing that the trying of our faith works patience in our lives. What's patience? Endurance, steadfastness, long-suffering, all of those things are patience and of course we have sometimes folks who want patience and they want it in a hurry and I've heard some folks express that perhaps they were expressing that in some fashion uh, to make a joke but yet it was the same as uh, Lord give me patience but I want it right now Uh, we don't get patience by wanting it right now. In fact, if we pray for patience, we will receive trials. God's Word does not, and I will repeat, God's Word does not tell us that we may have patience without trial. We may not have patience without the trials of our faith. In fact, we are promised this in James chapter 1, verse 3. In this epistle, we see a pattern, we see admonition for Christian living, and he opens with a most crucial topic, the trials of life. There are various testings presented in this portion of Scripture, negative experiences, and yet we are to accept them with great joy, knowing that That God uses it to help us and to teach us. And so let's go back to verse 2 and get to verse 3 again. My brethren, so that's those of us who are in Christ Jesus, have our faith in him, we are to count it. Now the the word count there is an accounting term, so we're to account it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, but we're to tally it up that uh, it should be considered all joy when we fall into these temptations of various kinds, knowing that the trying of our faith will give us patience. Now, the natural response to adversity is to try to escape it. But God uses the troubles that come our way to teach us, to mature us, to cause us to be better, to cause us to do better. Now, you know, we can either be better, we can be bitter. But we are taught of the Lord to be better when we pass through the fiery trials that come our way. Verse 4, But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, Wanting nothing. So you can be mature and complete. Mature and complete. Is a good way to say this. Perfect and entire. But if patience has its work in us. If we have this. Patience going forward. And we are working as the Lord would have us to work. And we are being. Tried and tested as the Lord wants to try and test us. Then we see that maturity comes with testing. It's called divergent testing, divers testing, different testing, all sorts of testing. And it comes to us at the hand of God, allowed by him, not to injure us, not to cause us distress, but to mature us. Now, as I teach this, I am well aware of what happens when I teach anything from God's Word. I live through it. I live through that teaching. And so, we have testings that are going on, trials that are going on, even now, in my life and in the ministries in which I work. They happen on a daily basis. It is not something unusual, but it's something that we should count it as joy when these various trials come our way. Because we are moving toward patience. We're moving toward perfection, maturity, if you will. Perfection is the word used in the King James. But it's maturity and completeness. And that's exactly what happens when patience has time to work in our lives. When trials come our way and we don't allow them to stay and we don't work through them, instead we try to avoid them, then there is no patience. And patience then cannot work in our lives because patience is not in our lives. Well, that doesn't mean that we have to sit idly by when troubles are are upon us. No, that's not what uh, James is saying at all. What he's saying is, count it all joy when you're tested, when you're tried, because that means that God is at work in your life, and he will take care of you. There's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be fearful of, Because God has promised that nothing will ever come upon us that is so heavy, so difficult, that we will not be able to bear it. Nothing is so difficult that we will not be able to do what it is that we must do to be pleasing to Almighty God. That's the practicality of this general epistle of the book of James, this letter of James to the scattered abroad Christians. The truth is that when we are tested, when we are tried, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Nobody said it was an easy thing, but it's a good thing. But let patience have perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. You may be mature and complete, wanting, lacking, lacking nothing. So if you want to lack nothing in your spiritual walk, if you want to lack nothing in your day-to-day life for Christ, let patience have its work in you, that you may be matured, that you may be completed. Man, isn't that something? Think about it for just a moment. You're complete in Christ Absolutely, we're promised to be complete in Christ, and we are complete in Christ. And our completion is made perfect, made mature, made complete, made total through patience. Now, as we said, the, um, the verses don't necessarily always follow one right after the other, mesh together, and that sort of thing. It's more like the Proverbs, you know, with a couplet. And so, let's look at it that way, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Verse 5, sort of a switching here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, what does that mean? It's not a blanket promise, is it? For wisdom, if I lack wisdom, all i got to do is say, I want wisdom, and I'll have it. Not necessarily, but it talks about, in the context of life's trials, God gives wisdom as for the reason for the trials and the wisdom to endure them. Wisdom is a skill for living. Wisdom is imparted by God, not imparted by man, but is imparted to man by Almighty God. When we talk about wisdom, we're talking about something that transcends our understanding and our knowledge. But it allows us, by God's grace, to be mature enough to take one step at a time, as God would have us to do, to meet the challenge that comes our way on a moment-by-moment basis. And so we have the skill that is necessary for making it through the trial. We have the skill that is necessary for us to live our lives as Christ would have us to live. And so if we lack wisdom, if we lack that skill that is needed for life, let him ask of God. Now what does God do? He gives to all men liberally. Now the word liberally there means without ending of measure. Without ending of measure. Measureless. His wisdom is poured out upon us as if it were a dam bursting and the water coming over us. And upbraideth not. God doesn't say to you or to me, you silly person. What? You don't have wisdom? I'm so ashamed of you. God doesn't do that. No, no, no. What God does is he gives you an outpouring of wisdom when you ask for it for the trial at hand. For the trial at hand, I don't think God's going to make you an egghead. I don't think God's going to give you such wisdom that you'll be of no earthly good because you're so wise, everyone else is transcended from you, by you, to you. No, no, no. I think this is where God gives to you in such abundance you can't contain it all, but it helps you get right through the problem, right through the trouble, right through the testing, right through the trial and god never ever 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 chastises you because you didn't have enough wisdom he never says oh you weren't smart enough to do that no because we're not supposed to be smart enough to do that we are to look to god the author and finisher of our faith jesus christ himself we are we are to look to almighty god to see the, the opportunities that are before us and to ask for the wisdom to take advantage of those opportunities and to uh, work through the trials that God sends and allows to be sent in our way. And so when we face this trial, God will say, ask of me. And we ask of him and God will pour out an abundance of wisdom and God will do so With a smile on his face, as it were, thankful, in the one sense, that we followed his admonition and asked for wisdom. So, ask and it shall be given to us. Not to make us smarter than anybody else. Not to make us special. Not to make us some sort of a strange bird. But to get us through the trials at hand. God works to give us patience. God works to give us completeness and maturity. God works to give us wisdom, that is, skill for living and skill for life, so we can do the work that he wants us to do, so we can go through the trials that he has purposed for us, so we can show through as if it were gold shining after refining. That's what it's all about. And so here James is writing, and in these first five verses, first of all there's the greeting and the salutation, but then in those next verses, all the way through verse 5, we see that it is indeed the gift of God, and we should receive it in such a wonderful joy that God has given us times of trial so we can see him be faithful to us. Are you in a time of trial my friend, count it all joy and ask God for wisdom.
0: Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, WHCBRadio.org, and sending us an email on the contact us link. That's WHCBRadio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible class, WHCB Post Office Box 5. Buffalo, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Buffalo, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.